Pray with me. Lord, we have come and we're here in this, your sanctuary. We ask now that you help us put aside all those distractions, responsibilities, and worries, even those exciting things that are stretching out in front of us. Help us for a little while to just to rest in you to hear your calm, still voice. Speak to us, God. Send your Holy Spirit into our, our lives at this very moment. Help us to honor you as we pray, as we sing, as we meditate upon your word. Come, Holy Spirit.
Good morning. Good morning. Uh, it's a delight to have you in worship today, to be here together to worship our God. Um, a couple of announcements for you this morning to let you know what's coming up in the life of the church. The fall schedule begins in two weeks. The 13th of September, uh, there'll be a 9 o'clock traditional service, then Sunday school resumes after the summer off at 1010 for all age groups. And then this service is not going to be at 1045 anymore. It'll be at 1115. Band will still be here, 11.15, though, uh, for the second service on through uh, the rest of the year. The day after the 13th, I know you guys are here in contemporary worship, but you may have other gifts and skills. The day after the 13th, on the 14th, handbell choir practice begins. And uh, John Borland, who's the director of that choir, wanted me to encourage you to come. No experience necessary. They meet 7 o'clock right below this room on the stage down in Fellowship Hall. Okay, that'll all start on the 14th. If you are a golfer, we would love to have you be a part of um, the golf outing, the Silver Cup on the 19th of September. You'll see a place to sign up for that on your bulletin. And then also um, the annual crop walk that takes place here, Bensonville Elmhurst Crop Walk that starts out of Elmhurst College will be the 4th of October. We want you to kind of get that on your calendar. Um, it's a wonderful event, a great way to raise money to help feed the hungry uh, here in the United States and really around the world. Some of you just came up from downstairs where you had a chance to hear uh, Samuel talk about uh, um, digging wells in the Sudan and bringing uh, clean drinking water there. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity as we involved in mission uh, here and abroad. Uh, there was, a, by the way, a local mission uh, of house painting that was supposed to happen today. We've, we've been, had rainouts, and so they tried to throw a special one in today at 1. That is not going to happen. If you were scheduled or thinking that you were going to come at 1 to do that, it, it is off. That is not happening. But you'll notice in the bulletin there are a number of places to sign up for that as well, kind of a local painting trip to Lyons, which is not far at all. You don't have to go to Mexico or the Sudan or anywhere. Just write to Lyons and help out uh, some folks in need. We sent, um, well, as a, actually went on his own, but we supported him so, uh, uh, on a wonderful trip to the Dominican Republic with Go Ministries this summer. Um, it's great. We have folks that go all over the place, our youth and others. And Evan Baker uh, was there in the Dominican Republic, and he comes today with a good friend to share with us what that experience was like. Evan? I'll hand this off to you. Uh, hello, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Evan Baker, and this is my girlfriend, Jennifer Jensen. Um, both of us traveled to the Dominican Republic June 2nd through 9th this summer uh, with college friends and uh, Eastview uh, Christian Church down in Bloomington. Um, we traveled to Bate Nueve, and uh, Abate is kind of like a small community in the Dominican Republic surrounded by sugarcane fields and they were their communities in great need the most of the the only job for the peoples that work there are working in the sugarcane fields and they make about five dollars a week so there's really not a lot that they can afford right and so we lived in Bate Nueve for the week that we were in the Dominican Republic um, Bate Nueve means Bate 9 and we also worked in Bate Ocho and Bate Cuchilla. Uh, the people of the Bates do not have access to medical care at all. Um, so, we've, so for four days of our trip, we held a free medical clinic. Families could come to the medical clinic and get free medications, and they could also speak to doctors about 
um, their sicknesses. And we were also able to hand out basic hygiene products like toothpaste and toothbrushes and soap and things like that because they don't regularly have access to those things either. Um, so when I was working in the medical clinic, I handed out parasite pills um, to all the children because their drinking water is often contaminated. And Evan took blood pressures of older individuals and he also worked in the pharmacy. Uh, during our time in the Bates, we also worked at a feeding center, handing out food to children. A lot of the children are orphans, or they only live with their mother who has no income, so they can't afford a meal every day. So um, the, the church in Bates Nueve set up a feeding center and gives out one meal to all the children every day. And uh, a lot of our free time was spent playing with the orphan children that were kind of wandering the streets in the town. Um, traveling to the Dominican Republic was one of the greatest experiences of our lives. Um, I think we could say um, it was amazing to be a witness for God during the whole week and um, go door-to-door -door evangelizing um, with the Dominicans. Every good deed we could do for the Dominicans, we did for God, and um, it was amazing to serve him. And even though um, language was a very large barrier between us because they spoke um, Spanish and Creole, we were still able to worship with them. And a lot of times we sang the same songs, but in different languages. So that was a really neat bonding experience. Uh, thank you to the many people in our congregation who donated both prayer prayerfully and monetarily to our work in the Dominican Republic. We could not have done this uh, work without God's blessing and your constant support. If any of you would like to learn more about our week in the Dominican Republic or, or see pictures from the week, please ask Jen or I after the service, and uh, Jen can give you the link to her website that she made, which is really nice. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. You guys look really good in those green scrubs. I think that should look about into that for the future. Children of the congregation, would you join me for our morning lesson together? All right, just come right on down here. This looks like a good place for this today. I want to try an experiment. I'm going to look in this mirror just real quickly, and then I'm going to put it down and see if I can remember what I look like. What do you think? And then you guys can try it. All right. I'm going to look just really, just for a second. Okay. That was enough. Okay, now um, let me see. See what I remember. I think I was about like 6'4". Um, blonde. Is that right? I'm a blonde hair. I'm really buff. I'm really, I work out a lot. And uh, I'm really cute. You don't agree? Is that, was I right about that? Should I check again? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I wasn't even close, was I? Wow, that's pretty crazy. Does anybody else want to try? Really quick? Okay, you're the man. Here we go. One, two. All right. What color are your eyes? Blue, excellent. I think he's right about that. What color is your shirt? Don't look down. Ah, you look down. You look down. <laughs> okay. All right. What, what color are your socks? 
Oh, you look down. You can't look at yourself. You're remembering in the mirror. Let me try another one here. Okay, you guys have already been checking yourselves out. Okay, all right. Let's see. Who should we go next? Do you want to be next? Nope. You can't go next. You just went. All right, here we go. Hannah, here we ready, set? Time's up. All right. Okay. What would you say? What color is your hair? Black, right? No. Nope. Blonde hair. Okay. Um, what are you wearing? A dress. Is that all? Uh, what color is it? Pink and white. Are they pink and white lollipops? No. What? You're good. I see. I thought this was like a sweater thing, but that is part. It is kind of a sweatery thing, isn't it? Okay. All right. You guys are good. What was my problem? I didn't get anywhere close to me. What was the deal with that? Do you know what? Today we're going to read this scripture passage from James in the New Testament. And James says that if we read the Word of God, that if we learn what God wants us to do and we study in the Bible, but then we go away and we don't do it, it's like looking in a mirror and doing what I just did, forgetting what I look like. It's, we forget what we look like as children of God. As children of God, we're supposed to be people who care for one another, right? Who love others, who love our neighbors as ourselves. And when we read that and we don't do it, James says, we're like people that can't even remember what we look like. So, there you go. Next time you look in a mirror, where you're brushing your hair or your teeth or something like that, or making sure your shirt's on right side, inside out. We have problems with that in our family once in a while. Um, remember that James says, don't just be hearers of the word that go away and then don't do it, but be doers of the word as well. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that you give us mirrors to help us groom ourselves, to brush our hair and make sure our clothes are on right and all of that, but that you also give us the mirror of your word that shows us truly who we are and how we are supposed to live. And all God's people say, Amen. Thanks. As you see, this passage from James is on page 229 in your Pew Bibles in the New Testament section there. I'm going to read through it, and then I thought today I would just kind of then go back through it sort of line by line. We don't do it that very often, and kind of just take a look at it that way. But first, let's ask God to, to help us receive his word. Let's pray. Lord, this word is your gift to us. Not a dead word, but a living one. May it live in us. Help us to be truly hearers of the word. May we hear clearly and wholly that we might be doers of your word as well. Amen. James tells the churches he's writing to, Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness, sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they look like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they're religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. James opens this passage saying, every generous gift, act of giving, like every perfect gift, has its motivation from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now, probably like you, I've been the beneficiary over the years uh, of many gifts, several from folks in the congregation. You know, people give me books and music. I've gotten an iPod, clothes, rounds of golf, food. It's a wonderful thing. It's a nice feeling, I think, is to think that ultimately all of these came from God to me through uh, wonderful people. But the point I think that James is making here is that is that generosity is not native to the fallen human being. It's a heavenly characteristic. Babies, I notice, are sometimes generous. But children and adults, as we get older, we tend to back off on that a little bit. I notice that all babies of a certain age uh, will share their food with you. They'll take it out of their mouth and, and they'll put it in your mouth. Do you have that experience? You have a grandson that loves to do that. But I, I think it's because they've never known a time when they had want. There was always food there. Mom and dad always came through for baby. So there's always food. So they're very trusting, babies are. But then something happens, doesn't it? We get a little bit older, and we start to sense that there might not be enough cookies on that plate for me. There aren't going to be enough to share with all these folks around the table or my, my friends. So something changes. I start thinking about limited resources and shortages. And I transition from trust to fear. We begin to feel like we need to hoard stuff because there won't be enough for everyone. We forget that God's resources are as unlimited as God's love for us. So it's hard for us to remember to be generous. 
we kind of hold back from helping others rather than trust that as we help others, God's going to provide for us. This basic inability to trust God, that, that God will be there for us, is really at the heart of our brokenness as human beings. So when someone actually is generous in our lives, shares something with us that without any expectation of, of getting anything back in return, then James says that is a sure sign that God has his hand in there somewhere because that's not normal. Not normal at all. Not natural. And he goes on to say, in fulfillment of his own purpose, God gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, if I get that right, that means that that my trifocals and my grain hair, though they remind me that I sort of set forth on this biological sphere, or I set forth here biologically like 59 years ago, um, that number is really not important to God. The important number was that time when I began to know and to serve Christ. And I like that because according to that number, I'm like 33. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good thing. But I think that, that, that also there's something else going on there as well. He says that we're, like the first, we're meant to be the first fruits of God, that we are to be those first ones that can break out of this worry about a lack of resources, this, this tendency to hoard, this tendency to distrust. And because we, we can trust God, we can be generous. We need to be the first of those in our society, in our culture. We need to be at the forefront of those who know how to be generous with our money, with our lives, with our love. He goes on to say, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. That's an interesting transition, don't you think? Every good gift comes from God. Be the first fruits. Be generous. Don't be angry. Whoa. James knows something about what it means to be a person in the world we live in today. And it comes down to some really basic stuff. It seems to me that if, we, if ever there was a society that struggled with intemperate speech, we might be it. Anger and gossip are everywhere. As children, we may have chanted, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? But they do hurt. They wound terribly. Terribly. I heard of a woman uh, recently who though she is the, uh, she's the sole breadwinner in her family. Her husband lost his job. He's at home taking care of the kids. On top of that, her business, like a lot of businesses, you know, has had to really downsize. And so she, in addition to doing her job, is trying to do uh, the work of some folks that have been let go. And so she's working like 12 hours a day. Her husband's home with the kids. But get this. In her neighborhood, the word was put out that she's a bad mother. 
because she's not home with her children. Words are cruel. Words damage. They wound. Our speech has the power to nourish and to give life or to snuff it out. James says, what's it going to be? It seems to me also as I kind of look around at our culture, our society, that when it comes to this anger thing, that, that we're a kind of a people that takes offense, you know, like at the drop of a hat. Everything offends us. Half, half of, the, of the world seems to be walking around with this giant chip on their shoulder. What's that all about? We're hostile. We're, we're sort of full of this self-righteousness that we carry around with us. And we can't wait to set somebody straight about the error of their ways. I notice that the internet makes that really, unfortunately, way too easy. You know, we can fire something off, a lot of venom in there, bang, send button, it's gone. Not easily retrievable again. Whereas, you know, not that long ago, we had to actually like write it down and, you know, put it in an envelope and lick it and walk it all the way to the mailbox. And somewhere in there along the way, there was some hope that we might think better of what we were about to do and maybe not go through that. We sent less letters, I think, than we send emails. We take our easily offended selves and this sort of hostility, and rather than looking into the mirror of God, God's word to us, we go looking for supporters of our anger, don't we? We go out there and look for other folks that are angry like we're angry, in the same way we're angry. And unfortunately, we can usually find them. You can find a pastor, you can find a rabbi, an imam, who will support you in your anger. And if those aren't readily available, we can always turn to America's fastest growing religion, 24-hour talk radio, or its sister faith, 24-hour pundit TV, where we'll find no lack of news outlets and talking heads to support, and often it seems to me stir up our anger when it's not there. Whether it's somebody like a Glenn Beck or a Rush Limbaugh on the right, or Keith Oberman, or Rachel Maddow on the left, it really doesn't matter. Now, a caveat here. I am not saying that there isn't such a thing as righteous anger. There is. When we see real injustice and suffering in the world, anger can and should be a necessary response to, to make sure that injustice is dealt with. I mean, if the anger actually leads to us doing something constructive, but I'm not talking about that. Most of what we see parading around today, I think, is righteous anger, is really self-righteous anger. Most of our talking heads are well-paid millionaires. There are really no policy options out there that will affect them personally in any real way. They don't have dogs in the fight. They're not without health insurance. They're not poor. They're not homeless. They're not living in another country who, where our military policies will directly affect them in any real way. The only thing they risk, not persecution, not suffering or pain, is a, a risk and a drop of their ratings. 
We have to be very careful as Christians especially, but just as brothers and sisters in the world we live in, to not confuse the will of God with the rantings of rating seekers on the tube. James says this. I don't say this. He says, if any think that they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Worthless. And then he transitions. He goes, come on, be doers of the word. Not merely hearers. Hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they're like. A friend was sharing with me just recently that, that she has a friend who constantly agonizes over being a worthless human being. Is that what the word tells us? Is that what it mirrors? The great University of Chicago psychologist Carl Rogers believed that most people, in fact, despise themselves, regard themselves as worthless and unlovable. That would be a quote from Carl Rogers. What's interesting, though, is that, that uh, though people, there are people who suffer crippling effects of unrealistic low self-esteem, modern research has found that most of us are in a whole different category. And, and an opposite conclusion could be drawn. Most of us, in fact, view ourselves more positively uh, than reason would allow. Uh, sometimes this takes the form of a kind of a benign optimism. I'll share a few of these with you. Uh, Neil Weinstein, a researcher at Rutgers University, discovered these things. College students. The average college student rates himself far more likely than his peers to get a good job, own a house, or make a good living. The average student says she is also far less likely than her peers to get cancer, become divorced, or be fired. Second thing, in survey after survey, at least 90% of business managers and college professors rate their performance as superior to their colleagues. Boy, those other 10%, whoa. In Australia... Down under there, 86% of people rate their job performance as above average, while only 1% rate theirs below average. Some statistical anomalies here. It seems that all of us, even those on other continents, are living in Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, where all the women are strong, the men are good-looking, and the children are above average, right? We are all myopic. We look in the mirror and we don't see who we really are in some ways that are not meaningful that much, but in other ways that are significantly meaningful. Because none of us are immune to this. We need to beware. If we're truly looking in the mirror of the Word, we'd be reminded that we are tainted by original sin. We possess a bent and a tendency to do evil whether we'll own up to that or not. And even the best of us carry good and evil around with us all the time. Hey, remember Thomas Jefferson wrote those great words? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. You know Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. 
Those two things, didn't, he didn't have a problem with those. Martin Luther, shining light of the Reformation. He was a majorly focused on the grace of God, the goodness of God, of a loving God who loves us all. Martin Luther was an anti-Semite. I think if you read Calvin, you'll also notice some, some of that in there as well, and seriously anti-Catholic. Um, James pleads with us to spend time in introspection, in a careful and accurate gaze in the mirror of the word, before we rush out angrily into the world to offer our often ill-considered judgments, especially in the name of Christ. For if we gaze in the mirror of the word, we'll find out that we are the ones, we're the ones that are being judged. What is it that we learn by looking in the mirror of the word? What are those basic things about who we are as human beings? Well, to this friend that thought she was a worthless human being, we can say, no. The Bible is clear. The word is clear. You are a creation of God, and God doesn't create garbage. The second thing we would say also, though, is God's good creation has fallen. We've turned away from God. We're we're broken. We're sinners who've strayed from God's will. And, and because of that, our hearts and our minds deceive us. And without the grace of God, we're helpless to do the good that we want to do. And then the final good news of that, the third thing, of course, is that by the grace of Christ, we are able to be more than conquerors. Well, James says, kind of in closing in this passage, he says, those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they'll be blessed in their doing. And then here comes like that final kicker. And listen really close to this, because he said, because you're going to get a definition of pure religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To come to worship, to stand up and sing songs and clap your hands, to pray sometimes at home, read the Bible, and that's all you got to do. Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What? Remind you that widows and orphans are a code word here for all those who are disenfranchised in the society. In Jesus' time, in James' time, there was no social net, and there were no you know, nets, safety nets for people in society. There were no social security or Medicare or any of that. There was just the goodwill of the community. If you became an orphan or you became a widow, you were in deep trouble if you didn't have family to take you in. You were at the absolute mercy of the community. Because women couldn't hold property, really. They didn't have any rights. Children had no rights at all. You were nothing. So James says this is pure religion. 
This is where that generosity thing comes in. This is what God is calling you to do. You, the people of God, have to be on the side of the disenfranchised of the world. Those without power, those without money, those without connections. That's your job. Or don't pretend you're religious. And the second thing he says is to not be unstained by the world. Historically, unfortunately, I think, the church has tended to read that last part very narrowly. Kind of a very narrow reading of what it means to be unstained. We've tended to to read it uh, very narrowly in 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 a very narrow moralistic sort of view, especially when it comes to sort of personal lifestyle. You know, historically, you know, in certain groups, especially, you know, it means to be unstained by the world is, oh, you know, you don't go to movies or watch TV programs with certain kind of content in them, that you keep yourself pure um, sexually, that you don't uh, do drugs or uh, alcohol or smoke tobacco or dress in a certain way. It's those kind of very narrowly prescribed sort of personal lifestyle things. But I don't think that's altogether what James is talking about. Because the word of God, the word of God, has a tendency to go much deeper. Talk about injustice in the world in very deep ways. James asks that we we peer carefully in the mirror of the word here. Are there other stains that we can't see in our own sort of self-righteousness and self-deluded myopia that we're so caught up in that we don't see? We are myopic. I put this shirt on today, but it was like early in the morning, and I was taking it out of this little cellophane thing, and there was like a little tag on the hanger, and I pull it off, and I'm reading it says, we tried as hard as we could, but we couldn't get the stains out of this shirt. It's 5.30 in the morning. I'm going like, what stain? What stain? Check, check me out afterwards. I'm still looking for the stain. It's got to be here somewhere. But they're very clear it's stain. I go like, it's a great looking shirt to me. It's probably got a massive ketchup stain here someplace. But we're like that in our lives. We can't see our own blind spots. That's part of the reason why we're in community. It's why you, you know, a nice friend will tell you, you know, you've, you've got a ketchup stain on your shirt. Go change that, you know. It's the same thing about the community. We're supposed to help each other with our blind spots. James says, hey, are there other questions we should seriously be asking ourselves as the church in the world today? For instance, I'm sure this wouldn't apply in Elmhurst. Where's the church's real critique of consumerism? How easily we've made it to be a follower of Christ and to buy whatever you're supposed We want to buy. Is that what he had in mind? How does the American dream relate to God's dream for us? Do we too easily assume in our international relationships and our domestic policies that whatever seems best for America is really what God has in mind for the world? These kind of questions are not easy ones, I know. They're not easy to answer, but... They're necessary ones. If we're to be about God's work in the world, questions that we need to ask as Christians, if we aren't going to look in the mirror 
and forget entirely what it means to be a child of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do confess our myopia, our moral blind spots. Of course, the problem is because they're blind spots, we can't see them. So we beg you fearfully, but also hopefully that you would show us our blind spots. The places where we've been less than truthful with ourselves about your calling for us. Open our eyes and our hearts to receive that hard truth and then come quickly, Lord, to empower us to do something about it. That we might not forget the image of Christ that you are calling us every day to become more and more like. We pray this in his name. Amen.
This is the time in our weekly worship when we share with one another our joys and our concerns and those things that we wish to offer up to God in prayer. It is a great joy that this coming Saturday, Matt Toburin and Denise Gagner will be married in Minneapolis. And we remember the Toburin family this week, and we look forward uh, to your celebration. We also celebrate that the following Saturday, on September 12th, Mary Beth Borchert and Joel Camstron will be married here in this sanctuary. We're grateful and honored by the mission work of Samuel Mayul, who has been building water pumps in the Sudan. And it is great thanksgiving for the missionary work of Jan and Evan and all that you were able to greet in the Dominican Republic. We praise God for your commitment to spread the good news. And there is something that is missing this morning. I don't know if you've noticed it. Uh, the congas. Have you been missing the conga drums this morning? I have too. <laughs> Bill Shepard is not here this morning, and either is Sue Shepard. That's because this morning their first grandchild was born. Born to them. Yeah. To their daughter, Katie Shepard Gilbert, and their, her husband, Todd Gilbert, is daughter, Elizabeth Grace. We give great joy for the circle of life and the gift of this child in their lives. We also celebrate with Kathleen Kegel, who has been called to the Ministry of Chaplaincy and working with hospice care. We've received news that Kathleen has been approved for ordination to Ministry of Word and Sacrament, and will celebrate her ordination here in this sanctuary sometime later this fall. Please remember in your prayers this week, Art Schroeder, who is in hospice care with bone cancer. We also continue our prayers for Carol Spittler, who has pancreatic cancer and, at least for the next while, is living in the Elmhurst Extended Care Center. And we have prayers for Ethel Crosfeld, who is facing seven weeks of intensive daily radiation for cancer that is in one of her salivary glands and in her sinuses. What other prayers would you offer this day? Yes. Prayers for Corey Howard, who is entering the Marines soon. Other prayer requests? Yes, Brian. And what's your, bro your brother's name? John. For John and Amy, John is Brian's brother, and they'll be married next weekend as well. Other prayer requests? Yes. Hmm. Do you know her name? Mary. Prayers for Mary, a, a young woman who is in her fourth year of high school studies, and these are prayers for her medical condition and that Charlie might be a continue to be part of her life. 
Let us pray. In the quiet of these moments, we still our minds. We take a deep breath. And we turn every thought to you, holy God. So much of our lives are filled with too much noise, too much technology, too much stimulation. Forgive us when these things distract us from you. Pull us close to you now, allowing us to feel your very presence. How we long for a deeper relationship with you. We long to know your word better, to spend more time reading the Bible, to enjoy the beauty of the Psalms and to find comfort in the laments. But days go by and we do not even open our Bibles. Holy teacher, help us make this the week that we make learning your word a priority. Gracious God, hear our prayers for all those who are in transition. We pray for children who have returned to school, met new teachers, found their lockers, and are negotiating new syllabi. God of all knowledge and truth, inspire them in their learning, open them to explore new adventures, and fill them with courage to try new things. We pray for all those seeking new employment. Guide their steps as they secure interviews. Fill them with confidence so that their amazing God-given gifts may shine in interviews and sustain them until the next new thing is made possible. God of new beginnings, fill us all with hope. Fill us with a hope that illustrates we are a people of God. Fill us with a hope that knows that with you all things are possible. We pray especially this day for Mary, a young woman who's unable to continue her education at York, but is in so need of her continued relationship and tutoring with Charlie. God, offer her your healing mercies. Show her the way, and may your peace be with her. Loving God, hear our prayers for relationships and families. Give us words and voice to communicate clearly with our loved ones. Give us ears and a willingness to listen rather than assume we know the same old words that someone will say. Give us clarity in how to strengthen our relationships, how to forgive breaches, and how to move forward. You alone are God of the universe. You have created, formed, and breathed life into all living things. We thank you for the beauty and amazing diversity of this earth. We thank you for the bounty of the harvest that fills our tables. God, we know that you desire a peaceful kingdom where all creatures live as one community. 
Forgive our warring nature. May your vision guide the leaders of all nations. May your will be the rule of the day. We ask for your protection and your peace to be especially with Corey as he enters the Marines. Be with all of those who are serving, and we pray especially for the civilians and the soldiers in Afghanistan, Iraq, Palestine, Israel, the Sudan, and Colombia. Compassionate God, hear our prayers for those battling disease and illness. We pray for Carol and Art, for Ethel and Lucy, Anita, Bernice, Carol's mother, Billy, who's recovering from pneumonia, and her brother, Randy, with prostate cancer. We pray for those living with depression, those fighting addictions, and we ask for your strength to be with them. God, who offers every remarkable blessing of our lives, hear our prayers of thanksgiving. We thank you for the upcoming marriages that surround us, for Matt and Denise, for Mary Beth and Joel, for John and Amy. Fill their lives with joy and happiness, patience, and your peace. And God, we rejoice at the gift of new life in the birth of Elizabeth Grace. May your blessings continue to pour down on Katie, Todd, and their newborn daughter, as well as on Bill and Sue, newborn grandparents. Jesus, you encourage us to go to the ends of the earth, telling of your good news and proclaiming your truth. We thank you for the faithfulness of Samuel and Evan and Jen and their mission work. May your witness remain deep in the hearts of those whom they minister with long after their mission trips are completed. And now we pray together, remembering the prayer that you have taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand for our last song together.
just heard the word now we go to be doers of the word the good news is that the living word jesus christ himself through the holy spirit goes before us to empower to help pull off those blinders and show us our blind spots so go confident in the love and the knowledge and the grace of christ who goes with you always amen